This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today we are joined by Evan Silva of Establish the Run, uh, longtime friend on the pod. I think this is his fourth or fifth time joining us. Uh, he's moved over from Roto World, launched a new site, which we'll talk about uh, towards the end of our interview. We break down everything about the Jets offense, uh, talking Chris Herndon, talking Jameson Crowder, talking Sam Darnold, talking Adam Gase, talking Gase's play calling tendencies, talking about expectations around the Jets' win totals uh, and where they fit overall in the AFC. Uh, really positive takes across the board on this one. I think, uh, you know, people who think that me and Evan may be a little down on what the Jets have going on from some of their recent struggles in the past few years will be uh, pleasantly surprised by this one as we have a very glass-half-full attitude on this offense in particular heading into this season. So we go for about a half hour, uh, so make sure to listen to the full interview. As a reminder, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes. We'll be doing other giveaways soon to help push that rating number up, but let's get to 600 as fast as we can. Podcast is also published on TurnOnTheJets.com, Spotify, and Google Play. Uh, you could always follow me on Twitter at Jay Caparoso. You could follow Evan on Twitter at Elvin Silva. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll try to get an extra mailbag podcast in this weekend like we did last weekend. But if not, we'll have another episode again the following Thursday. And we're now joined by this week's guest few times now on the podcast for Evan Silva. No longer with Roto World now, has now launched a new site called Establish the Run, which we'll uh, let him talk through before uh, he signs off with us today. But we're going to talk about a wide range of topics on the Jets' offense from a fantasy perspective and also any potential uh, things of gambling interest around the team this year with what some of their preseason expectations are. So, Evan, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, man, I always love, love uh, talking ball with you. We've been, you know, talking ball really for like, shoot, is it like, like seven years at this point? I mean, do you remember when we started talking ball? We like had beef at the beginning. Fighting over Sean Green way back in the day. Way, way back in the day. What, what's Sean Green? Oh, my God, that's nuts. Um, yeah, so Sean Green, oh, my God. Is that really how it started? I believe so. I was. These were the final glory days of the Rex Ryan years, where the Jets were going through that miserable 2012 season, and uh, Green Green was definitely not in his prime years like he was in that first playoff run. And uh, we went back and forth a little bit, but then, uh, yeah, I think we've gotten a good rhythm the last few years talking about the Jets, and I'm hoping that it could finally be gradually start to becoming talking about a well-run and a productive team as these past eight years have generally been rough. And that's where most of our conversation has been around their struggles in these recent years. Yeah. I mean, and we both want what's best for the jets, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we both want. And, um, you know, they've gone through some really difficult years and I feel like we were on the same page with kind of wanting them to hire Todd Monken. And we were both kind of disappointed in the hire of Adam Gase, but, we can look at Adam Gase's history and we can look at the talent they've, that they've kind of assembled in the skill position core and we can paint a glass half full picture. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I intend on doing because I think that 
I, you know, I'm a big Sam Darnold supporter. I'm a big Sam Darnold supporter. I'm a big supporter of Robbie Anderson and, you know, Chris Herndon and Quincy Anunua and, you know, Jamison Crowder, I think has always been a, a really solid slot receiver. And it's just going to be a matter of these guys staying healthy because there's really not a lot of depth, you know, uh, on the Jets roster and the offensive line is worrisome. They've got talent on defense. I mean, they have like a, a pretty talented, I think, starting lineup. But they really cannot afford, you know, massive injuries anywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's let's get into it, man. One thing we've definitely been on the same page about is being optimistic about Sam Darnold. And where I feel most excited about watching this team is actually their skill positions. My concerns are more around the offensive line and the secondary, or particularly around the cornerback position. But offensively. Basically, the biggest news that's recently hit now that we found out Jamison Crowder has a minor injury and he'll be back at practice tomorrow, thank God, uh, is that tight end Chris Herndon, uh, really one of the bright spots from the offense last year, went over 500 yards despite really not getting integrated into like week three or four and being in a pretty bad offense overall, is going to be suspended for four games, which is more than most expected. I think a lot of us thought it would be one or two games. So a fourth of the season that Herndon's going to be out. The Jets signed uh, former Texan Ryan Griffin to help bridge the gap. Beyond that, they have rookie Trevin Wesco, who was really more of a blocker in college, only had 28 total receptions. They also have Eric Tomlinson on the roster, who is basically a glorified tackle who can't even block himself. So how do you look at a guy like Herndon? Because I think if the thought was with Herndon, if he was going to play 16 games, he could be one of the better tight ends in the AFC and one of the better bets from a fantasy perspective from the tight end position overall. I had him a uh, tight end 11 overall entering uh, the season before he was suspended and then had to drop him a tight end 18 uh, which is, you know, uh, like a, a mid to low end backup at the position and almost undraftable because they have that early buy, you know, so they have that, I think it's week four. And that means he's out until week six. You cannot even use him until week six. If you play in a fantasy league where, you know, you have five or six bench spots, you 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 can't, I mean, you can't, like he's undraftable. I mean, he's he's like legit undraftable. But he is like a big-time talent. I really believe in his talent. We saw what he was able to do late last season. He was only the eighth tight end over the last decade to go over 500 yards as a rookie. So that puts him in like rarefied air. I mean, it puts him in, you know, Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez and George Kittle, all, you know, right up there with all these big-time tight ends that had monster, you know, really exceeded expectations as a rookie. Um, and I really believe in his talent. He, you know, he can make one-handed catches. He's a really good athlete. I remember hearing about him because I think he was like a, a fourth or fifth round pick out of the U, which has long produced uh, big-time tight ends. Uh, but I remember hearing a lot of buzz about him last year in training camp. Um, and, you know, he, he kind of just, you know, he started to hit like right away. You know, he was clicking right away. And I think that's always a good sign. But he did get this four-game suspension, and I didn't anticipate a four-game suspension for him. And obviously you didn't either, based on your earlier comments. I thought he would be a two-game suspension. Um, but he got hit with the four-game. He's appealing. So I have, I've been still drafting him actually pretty aggressively because his ADP, his average draft position, dropped considerably. And then there's still a chance that it gets reduced down to two, I think. Um, and then when he comes back, you know, I think he has a chance to be a difference maker. Um, 
So that's kind of the way that I'm looking at Chris Hearn, and I think they're going to have to rely on him heavily because, uh, I mean, I think they're going to have to throw the ball this year. Uh, but they also have, you know, they have a lot of, I mean, you know, adding like Jamison Crowder in the middle of the field uh, kind of does uh, cause some, you know, cause some concern for him in terms of his target upside. But I really believe in, in him as a player, and I think that they, they need to be aggressive in the passing game this year because they're not going to be able to run the ball consistently. That's not a knock on Le'Veon Bell. It's a knock on the offensive line. Uh, that, that would be the, the biggest Achilles heel offensively for this team is the offensive line, especially the interior offensive line. Don't trust Jonathan Harrison as far as I can throw him. You know, Brian uh, Winters has had some really good years and some really bad years. Oh, similarly, I really like that trade. That they made for him was like a pick swap trade. I think those are the the most the smartest trades that you can make in the NFL these days. Where all you're doing you're not even losing a draft pick. You're just you know downgrading a round or two. I think they only downgraded one round uh, to to pick up uh, Osemele, and I think he's a risk worth taking. But he's also a guy who's uh, on the wrong side of thirty and coming off his worst season. So are they going to be able to run the ball between the tackles? I think it's going to be a struggle. They need to be a team that throws the ball a lot and throws the ball short with high-percentage passes to guys like Chris Herndon, Jamison Crowder, Le'Veon Bell, and Quincy Nunua, I think, is best uh, working between the numbers. And then when they t- do take deep shots, of course, they have a big-time talent in Robbie Anderson. I think one of the things that we're trying to figure out here analyzing this team is while Anderson is probably the default, I guess, number one receiver, there isn't one guy who I think is necessarily going to be a dominant you know, target hog. So how do you sort of figure out who is going to be the priorities for targets? And is the, is the ball going to be spread around enough where the Jets are going to be a tough team from a fantasy perspective? Because I think the expectation is that Anderson probably leads the team in yards and touchdowns, but a guy like Crowder could potentially lead them in targets and receptions. And then we're hearing a lot about Ty Montgomery early in camp, uh, He's not going to eat a huge chunk away of Le'Veon Bell's time. Could there be a situation where they're ramping him up and Montgomery's more involved as a pass catcher uh, than maybe some initially ex- expected? You know, that signing went a little under the radar. Uh, and is Bell really going to start out? How long is it going to take him to ramp up to being the same type of workhorse he was in Pittsburgh? Ty Montgomery is an interesting guy to bring up. You know, they didn't invest a whole lot into him, but he has a very versatile skill set. I mean, this dude played wide receiver and was a, a special teams maven and a return maven at Stanford. Connor Rogers, who I think might do the best job of covering the team uh, at this point. Um, he, you know, just from like a, a, you know, a big, you know, big media standpoint, um, he has talked up Ty Montgomery a lot. Uh, and I, I understand why, you know, because we, and we've seen him flash big playability uh, in Green Bay, and even last year, you know, they cha- in, in Baltimore, they changed their backfield kind of on the fly. They were using um, Alex Collins primarily early in the season, and then they transitioned. They just totally pulled Alex Collins out of the offense, and they went with a three-man backfield involving Kenneth Dixon, Gus Edwards, and Ty Montgomery. And, you know, Ty Montgomery was a very much a big part of that offense when the Ravens Philly really finished strong. Uh, and the Jets went out and got him. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going to be a fantasy factor, barring an injury to Le'Veon Bell. Uh, but he's definitely a name to keep in mind. And um, I think that he's probably ahead of Elijah McGuire in the pecking order at this point. 
uh, just based on you know stuff that I've read. You you've probably read more than than I have, and you probably know more than I have. But just going off what I've read, it seems like Ty Montgomery is um, you know maybe second in line in that backfield right now behind Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, honestly, if you asked me today, I wouldn't even bet on McGuire rate, uh, making the roster. The fact that they also brought Powell back as well to potentially be the third string back, I don't know if that bodes well for McGuire, who is sort of an old regime guy, was a late round pick by the previous GM, and I just think he's going to fall in the class of uh, draft picks who are going to be on the bubble this year because uh, they weren't brought in by this coaching staff. They weren't brought in by this new front office. Um Elsewhere around the office, uh, around the offense, we talked a little bit about Robbie yeah, even, Anderson. Even even like during OTAs and minicamp, there were reports that like D'Angelo Henderson, who has since been waived, was working ahead of Elijah McGuire. That really doesn't bode well, I don't think, for Elijah McGuire. Yeah, and I think McGuire is a guy who had a couple okay moments as a pass catcher, but really just looked completely overmatched when given a bigger opportunity, particularly last year. So I don't think. You know, it should be a shock if he ultimately ends up being a cut, and definitely the same for Trent Cannons, who's even further below him on the depth chart. Um, that receiver, Anderson, is a guy that you know Jet fans are, I think, understandably very excited about. He, he's going to be playing for a new contract. He's spent the off season working with multitudes of different pros, including Brandon Marshall, who was his former teammate. He has Heinz Ward's in camp with him, working on his route running. Uh, Adam Gase has talked about expanding out his route tree and getting him more involved in things beyond just deep routes and you know outside the numbers comeback routes, which really are his bread and butter. I feel like Anderson probably narrowly can crack a thousand yards this year if Darnold takes the step that he does. Where does Anderson rate sort of overall for you when looking at receiver targets? Yeah, in my fantasy rankings right now, I have him. Um, he he hovers between wide receiver twenty eight and wide receiver thirty, so. That's like a back-end wide receiver three. So if you can get him as your third receiver in fantasy, I think you're in a good spot. He's going to be volatile. He's always been volatile. You know, he's been a guy who has really quiet weeks, you know, three catches for 24 yards or even like, you know, two for 38. And then he'll have these blow-up games. And, you know, I guess the question with him is can he become more consistent? Adam Gase has talked like, he thinks that he can, but he's also talked like that about everyone. So, you know, I don't know. I kind of take that with a grain of salt. Um, but, I, you know, one thing I, I always hearken back to with wide receiver quarterback connections is um, how important that that, that chemistry and, and rapport is. Um, because, you know, you look at, you know, the, the chemistry and rapport that Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown showed, for instance. And I think that, um, you know, just like over the course of time, like that's something that's kind of bankable. It's not necessarily quantifiable, but I think it is bankable. Like Andrew Luck has shown that with T.Y. Hilton over the years. You know, a quarterback and a wide receiver just being on the same page is so important in real life, in fantasy. And I think that Darnold and Robbie Anderson developed that over the last four weeks of last season, uh, they kind of, um, you know, they flashed it early in the season, especially in that Denver game, which was such an exciting, and I watched that game live. It was so awesome uh, to watch. And Robbie Anderson was just smoking Ro- Ro- uh, Bradley Roby over and over and over again. What an exciting game to watch. Um, but then, you know, Robbie Anderson, I think a couple weeks later, you know, suffered a high ankle sprain and, 
you know, we didn't see a whole lot of them until that final month. And it, it did, you know, help, you know, in theory, that connection that just everyone else kind of fell by the wayside. Quincy Anunua fell by the wayside. Jermaine Curse was just a black hole. Um, Herndon was there, but he was, you know, the number two guy. They didn't have a whole lot uh, in terms of their running back situation. So it was just like a, a schoolyard kind of. Uh, way of playing, you know, playing out in the backyard and, and Darnold and Robbie Anderson were, I mean, like Darnold would just throw him the rock, like even on the sideline, you know, expecting, expecting him almost to make a difficult catch and he would make it, you know, and then he would create a ton of separation and make big plays that way too. Um, I, I want to see them build on that so much. I want to see them build on that and make Robbie Anderson the number one receiver and, you know, get him to be a guy who gets 120 targets in a season. Um, but, you know, I, I understand there are some sort of, like, limitations to his game. Um, and, you know, can he become that? Again, you know, he was an undrafted guy at a temple. They don't have a whole lot invested in him. They did resist that trade offer that they got from the Eagles last year at the trade deadline for him. It was only a fourth-round pick, so understandably so. Um you know, and, and the guys who made those decision that decision are gone at this point. Uh, but I, I just I really hope that Adam Gase truly embraces Robbie Anderson as a they just need to feed the rock to because I really think he's a baller. When we talk about Adam Gase as a play caller, I think there's concerns from an offensive and a fantasy perspective about the tempo that he played with in Miami. I think the big question is, was that a function of the personnel he had in Miami? Uh, or is that just who he is as a coach? Now I think the glass half full Jet fan is saying that Gase overall was a victim of his circumstances in Miami. Uh, and at worst, he's going to be a very good offensive coach uh, for Darnold. I think the glass half empty would be that look like he's 23 and 25. He's 13 and 19 over the past two years and that he kind of is what he is. And maybe he will be a little better with talent, but the traits of maybe being stubborn or running his offense with a certain tempo probably aren't going away. Um, where are you netting out how you feel about Gase will be specifically as a play caller and how that impacts the Jets from a fantasy and an offensive production perspective uh, heading into 2019? Yeah, the big thing that we look at uh, as, you know, as fantasy analysts is um, the pace at which the Jet or the Dolphins played under his watch. And we have a three-year sample. Um, and they were 32nd, 22nd, and 32nd in offensive plays per game in three years in Miami. Now, uh, my coworker at my colleague at uh, EstablishTheRun.com, at EstablishTheRun on Twitter, Adam Levitan, has suggested and made the comparison. I think this is a really savvy comparison. Made the comparison between, you know, and I remember, like, because like, I, I uh, went to a high school and we were really good at basketball. We had uh, David Lee. Uh, was in my class, David Lee, who played for the Golden State Warriors, and um, uh, he was drafted by the New York Knicks. Like, we were really good at basketball. Later, we had uh, uh, Bradley Beal, who plays for the Wizards. We had we had um, Jason Tatum, who plays for the Boston Celtics. We were really good at basketball. And when we would play these, like, scrub-ass teams that, I mean, just clearly had just, you know, not even a third of the talent of the, the teams that we um, they would try to slow down the game, and there was no shot clock uh, in, in high school basketball. So they would just hold the ball um, on, like, the perimeter, just throw it, like pass the ball, and 
they would like try to create like two minute possessions to increase the uh, variance of what was going to happen in the game and uh, create fewer possessions for us and, and frustrate us, you know, frustrate our basketball team. And, um, you know, is the, it was the same concept going on with the Dolphins because Adam Gase knew that they were talent deficient. Um, they weren't very good on the offensive line. You know, they didn't have, you know, big time backs really other than Jay Ajayi, who, I mean, at this point is out of the league, you know, um, you know, their quarterback was a middle of the road, best utilized as a game manager and Ryan Tannehill, you know, they never really, you know, Devontae Parker never lived up to what he was supposed to be. You know, Julius Thomas was, you know, just kind of mailed it in, um, after his Denver days. So, you know, was Adam Gase doing that on purpose to try to increase the variance and, and, and decrease his opponent's possessions and, you know, was he being really smart? Now, that's very, that's a very glass half full take. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think it's very glass half full because every offseason, if you read, you know, the Miami Beat Riders, if you read the Miami Herald, Adam Gase was always talking about how he wanted to play faster every offseason. Uh, and it just never happened. You know, they were a sloth-like pace team in Miami. Um, so... You know, that's maybe one potential explanation for why they did that. But but also they were unable to execute on what Adam Gase was saying every offseason that he wanted to do. So um, I know it's just it's going to be really interesting to see. I, I This is going to be a big year, I think, for Adam Gase. You know, I think that there's a chance that he could even be one and done with the Jets, especially if Joe Douglas is able to, you know, kind of like um, – uh, grab power in the in the front office and um, you know kind of instill his will uh, in the front office and you know get the ear of the owner um, I do think that that's on the table but I also think it's on the table that Adam Gase ends up being a pretty good coach and um, you know is able to get the best out of uh, Sam Darnold and, and and you know all this skill position talent that we've been discussing and is able to work around this offensive line that he knows is a problem. You know, we we all read their reports. He wanted Matt Paradis, that center from the Broncos, who ended up going to the Panthers. He knew that that was a problem, and it's 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 still to this day, Joe, the the center position I think is such an underrated position in the offense, and they've got a they've got the worst center situation in the NFL. It's mind-boggling that it was not addressed after what a problem it was last year. It cost them at least two games, and Darnold's worst game was certainly impacted by Spencer Long being terrible and snapping the ball all over the place. And before that, Wesley Johnson was a problem there. So it's definitely it's one of the things that is going to be concerning about this team going into the season because I, I think – Fans should be excited about the collection of skill position talent they have, especially compared to what they had in recent years. But, you know, a bad center and an inconsistent offensive line could really put a hamper on a young quarterback. And Sam Darnold's still only 22. And I think the hope is that if Darnold takes that year two leap that we've seen from Goff and Wentz and, uh, you know, Watson to an extent, some of these other guys, that, you know, it, it changes. It, you know, it changes the ceiling for this team. I mean, when you look at just from like a raw output standpoint, I mean, what, what are you expecting from like a touchdown total and a yardage total standpoint from Sam Darnold in year two? 
off the top of my head, I think I have him at 27 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. A lot of that is based on his past propensity to throw picks. Um, But, you know, Adam Gase was able to coax uh, some pretty good, uh, like, turnover ratios out of Ryan Tannehill in Miami. Some of that was due to, you know, playing at the the pace and the style that they played, which I don't want to see that with the Jets. I don't want to see – I want to see them play aggressively, especially when they get Herndon back. Maybe they play a little bit slower early in the season, I guess, um, because they're – the tight end situation is just, it's garbage right now, you know, but when they have all their skill players intact, Herndon, Crowder, Anunwa, and Anderson, and Le'Veon, I mean, that's like a top 10 skill position group, you know, in the NFL. I mean, I I think it, or at least it has the potential to be. So I want to see them play aggressively. I do not want to see them play a slow paced conservative style like Adam Gase you know, installed in Miami. And he really did that in uh, Chicago too. He only last, you know, he only uh, was in Chicago for one year, but that was something that he emphasized in Chicago and understandably so because they had freaking Jay Cutler at quarterback, you know? So I just, I want to see him adjust for his personnel at the end of the, the day. That's all I'm asking from Adam Gates, just adjust for your personnel. And I think that if they do that, they are going to play an aggressive style of offense. All right, final question before we let you go, and more in just sort of a general take overall on the AFC East. We know New England is going to be the favorite to win this division, as they rightfully should be. I think most people are trying to sort out whether it's going to be the Jets or Buffalo as sort of that second team in the AFC. Do you see a major gap between those two teams who actually will be playing in Week 1 and Week 17, both of which could end up being very meaningful games? Uh, or do you see them basically yeah. right in the exact same tier overall in the AFC, sort of hovering around that 500 range? Well, the Bills have a win. Let's just use Vegas right now. The Bills have a win total of six and a half. I want to say I'm just going off the top of my head. I think it's a six and a half. And then the Jets are at seven and a half, which I thought was pretty aggressive, but also kind of promising. Um, and then, you know, the Patriots are way up at 11. And then the Dolphins are down at, I think they started at five and they've been bet down to four and a half, which you don't really see win totals that low. Um, it's magic. But I mean, I, I would even still, <laughs> and I would still, and they're going to play Rosen at some point. So um, I would still probably take the under even on four and a half, which is just absurd uh, for the, uh, for the Dolphins. But um, yeah, I, you know, I would take the, I'm still taking the over on the Jets. At seven and a half, I think that they are an eight to nine win team. This is very much pending health because, again, I think that they have a depth problem. Um, they, you know, as we've discussed uh, previously, and you've discussed ad nauseum, McCagnan did not draft particularly well. He never had a lot of draft picks. You know, he never had like years where he would have like a ton of draft picks. Um, and uh, but I think that we we do believe to some extent in their starting lineup. And if they can, and and um, in terms of a opposing win total, so if you just calculate like uh, the opponent win totals that uh, the Jets are facing this year, they have the second easiest schedule in the NFL this year. So uh, only the Patriots have an easier schedule, which the Patriots always have the easiest schedule in the NFL. But the Jets this year have the second easiest schedule based on opponent win totals in the NFL this year, and. 
I think that bodes well for them getting over over their projected win total um, and maybe creeping into the wild card race. Um, so I, it's they're really one of the most interesting teams this year because things have to go right. We we're we're kind of on the fence about their coach. We, like I think that if you just look at his body of work, Adam Gase's body of work, clearly he has shown that he's been able to win these one score games. I think we talked about this on our last podcast. Twenty and six in one score games in his career with the the Dolphins, but then three and nineteen in non one score games. So. I don't know, man. I they're they're really a wild card team, I, I think, and you know that's and that's you know goes two ways because I think that they're just a really tough team to predict, but they also could be in that wild card race. I, I don't think it should surprise anyone if they are. All right, before we let you go, could you give us a quick overview of what you guys are going to have going on at Establish the Run this year, uh, and how people could get involved and sign up? Yeah, at Establish the Run. Uh, on Twitter, uh, establishtherun.com, on the internet. And uh, Adam Levitan and I worked for six years together at rotoworld.com. And, you know, we have extensive uh, fantasy football backgrounds. What we're jumping into right away is um, preseason DFS. If you play, you know, FanDuel or DraftKings, I'm sure you've lost money. I've lost money, you know, playing FanDuel and DraftKings, but I've never lost money playing preseason DFS. I've won every single year since I started playing four or five years ago. And um, we're diving right into that uh, for the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night. Man, I cannot believe that we got some football on tap. And I know it's just backups. I don't care. I know. We freaking made it. And I'm excited to watch, you know, Tim Patrick and Kurt Benkert and Drew Locke and, you know, uh, Brett Rippon out there uh, playing on Thursday night. But um, if you want to make some money, man, uh, you know, come, come join up with us. And we do, you know, season, we have a, an amazing draft kit for season long uh, fantasy football. It's, I mean, I, I can't even imagine that anyone else on the market has as much information as we do uh, available. And if you play daily fantasy throughout the year, there's not going to be a better place to go to. If you like podcasts, you know, if you like uh, live videos, we're doing these, uh, live videos where we're drafting teams together. People love this stuff. Like, like Adam Levitan and I will be drafting like a high stakes team the other night. We did a three hundred fifty dollar buy in uh, for the, for the football guys players championship, and we just filmed the entire thing. It was like an, an hour and forty five minutes, and you know we're like on tilt about guys, you know, uh, uh, sniping us in the draft. It's just it's it's a lot of fun, and. Um, yeah, come come join us. You're, I guarantee you that that you will uh, have a positive experience uh, at Establish the Run and EstablishTheRun.com. We will definitely do that, Evan. Thank you as always for joining us, and we'll check in hopefully when the Jets start out five and two and are taking the league by storm, and we have more positive stuff to talk about. Love it, man. Love it. Yeah, I, I I'm pulling for the Jets, man. I'm tired of the Jets being a terrible team. I want to I... see the Jets come up and. Yeah, and I know that you're tired of it. I am I tired of it, too. I share the up. sentiment. I'm ready. Yeah, seriously. So, yeah, go go Jets, man. Go Jets. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next Thursday with a new episode.